0: All right, let's, uh, let's start by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are good and holy and righteous, our king above all kings, the one who made us, who takes care of us. Lord, we desire to know you better, We desire to know your Son, and a part of that is learning from your word. As we read your word this morning, Lord, may our hearts be oriented to you. May we understand your ways and your words. Teach us to love one another. Teach us to honor one another. May we have unity in the bond of faith. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the reason that Paul takes a break from spiritual gifts and goes into something seemingly out of place. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul begins a conversation talking about the one body with the many members, the, the way that the body is supposed to be together and is not supposed to be divided amongst each other and not supposed to try and get rid of parts of itself. This, this ends, the, chapter 12, with verse 29 saying, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And Paul is going to, in chapter 14, go back to that idea, that back to that thought, where he says in verse 1 of 14, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So this chapter is kind of sandwiched in here where Paul is going to talk about He's talked about spiritual gifts, he's talked about the body, and he's going to go back and talk about it some more. And, and now he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way, a still more excellent way. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now Paul is concerned in this book about one very particular thing that he talks about over and over and over again, and that is the unity of the body. That is what Paul is striving for right from verse 1. Right from verse 1 of chapter 1. There are divisions in the church and that ought not to be. You all say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. What what is this division? Why, Why are you trying to divide yourselves and be separated from one another by these factions, by these divisions? Paul is talking about How you go to lawsuit, uh, go to the court against one another and bring lawsuits against one another. You can't even resolve your own differences within the church. You have to take it to somebody outside. And then when there's sin and things that bring division, you don't even put the sin out from among you. You just allow all of this division and everything to, to boil up and become this problem in the church. He says in chapter 11, when you come together for the Lord's Supper, each of you goes ahead. One of you gets drunk. The other doesn't even have enough food to eat. And so Paul, in this whole book, is talking about there needs to be unity. There needs to be a unification, a union of the body. And this comes to a head here in chapter 12. In chapter twelve, Paul talks about this. Is verse fourteen? The body does not consist of one member. It doesn't. It consists of many members, and just because the foot says, "I'm a hand," I I'm not a hand, so I should be not part of the body, does not make it any less a part of the body. And down in verse twenty-one, the eye can't say to the hand, "I don't need you." And this is what was going on in Corinth: is this division, this. I saying the hand, I don't need you. The the less presentable parts of the body are looking at the more presentable parts and saying, oh, I guess since I'm not a tongue, I don't get to be part of this body. I guess because I'm not a foot, I, I shouldn't be part of this. And so as Paul finishes this this talk about the body and how the body needs to be unified and and how there's it's good that not all are apostles that not everybody's a prophet that not everybody is a teacher it's actually a good thing that there are different gifts that there is a unity in the diversity of the body and so then he goes into verse 1 here and he says if i speak in the tongue of men's in, tongues of men and angels but have not love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The people in Corinth, and I think the people in our church as a whole today, the broad church, the universal church, we have a tendency to think that guy stands up there and he preaches and he is amazing and he does all of these wonderful things and he's standing there and he's preaching to thousands of people every week and I, I just can't be like that. And Paul says, you know what? Even if I had prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries, all knowledge. If I am a, the most amazing prophet ever, but I don't love anybody, it is worthless. It is worthless. It is not worth anything. He says if he speaks in the tongues of men and angels, if he is able to go forth and be eloquent and to tell people about the the word and tell people about Jesus and and talk and and bring people in, if he doesn't love, it just is a gong. It's a clashing symbol. It's just grating on the, on the ears and on the hearts of the people. Because without love, all of this is for naught. All of this that we're doing here, where we come together, where we partake of the Lord's Supper, where we sing together, and, and where some of us get up here and preach the word, it is worthless without love. In the book of John, Jesus in chapter 13, he starts off chapter 13 of John by washing his disciples' feet, by being to them a servant, by taking the form of a servant. We read from Philippians chapter two today, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, he humbled himself, that was Jesus. And he humbles himself and he washes his disciples' feet a job that is fit only for the lowliest of servants Jesus does and, and does for his disciples. And after he's f- finished doing that and talking with the disciples. In verse 31 of chapter 13, when Jesus had gone out, he said, "Now the son of man now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him." in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus says this is the way that everyone will know that you're my disciples is because of the love that you have for one another so now let's think about Corinth let's think about you standing outside the church seeing these people that call themselves Christians this is this new cult this new way that has come up that people don't know about the Jews think it is some offshoot of them that is wrong. The Greeks think that it's foolishness. And you look at them and they're suing one another in court. And you hear about the, the parties that they have where all the rich people come in and get drunk and everything and all the poor people come in and watch them. Did the people in Corinth that weren't part of the church know that they were disciples of Christ? Or did they look at this ununified, disunified group and say, I don't want to be part of that. I have no desire to be part of that. This is so important that we understand that they will know we are the disciples of Christ because of our love for one another. And Paul, as he is coming to this point where he's going to talk about the spiritual gifts in further detail and, and talk about Christ and what Jesus did and his resurrection, he says, we have to stop for a second and consider love. And we need to stop for a second and make sure that we all understand that all of this disunity is a stumbling block. It's causing the rest of the world to look away, to say, well, I don't want to be any part of that. Why would I want to be a part of a group of people that can't even like each other enough to eat together without some going hungry and some getting drunk. Why would I want to be a part of that? And Jesus showed his disciples in this way where he, he was on his knees before them, serving them, washing their feet, taking, taking their grime, their dirt, upon himself and then he would lay down his life for them. Turn to the book of First John. I, I think it's interesting. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved and there's so much in the book of John about love and about what Jesus said about love. And then you read the book of First John and it's all about love. And it's all about what is this love? What, what is it? How, how do we know what love is? In 1 John chapter 3, John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. That's, that's the kind of love that we have from God is that we get to be called his children. Verse 11 of chapter 3 says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Where did that message come from? That message came from Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. John says, We know this. We've heard this from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 12, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John says that we've heard that we need to love one another, and if you love one another... Don't be surprised that the world hates you. It's, it's a little backwards. If, if you love one another, if you actually care for one another, if you show great love for one another, don't be surprised that the world hates you. But we were also told by Jesus that if you, the, the people will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. So there's, a, there's two things happening here. First, our love for one another shows the world that there's something attractive, there's something good about being a disciple of Christ, and then, for those who do not know God, for those who hate God, they will hate us, because we love one another. And not only that, one of the most encouraging things about this passage, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Our love for one another is the evidence that we have passed out of death and into life. That, that is the evidence that we have salvation, is that we love each other. That is the profoundness of the love that we must have for one another and that I think we do have for one another here. And the next thing that John says is, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is how we know what love is, is that he laid down his life for us. And so, because he did that, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for one another. The example that Jesus gave us is the example of taking the dirt off of his disciples' feet onto himself and then taking the sin off of his disciples and putting it on himself. Love is work and it's hard, and it sometimes is extraordinarily painful. But this is how we know that we have passed from death into life, because we lay down our lives for one another. We're willing to give up whatever we need to give up for each other, for the brothers. That, that is love. John says that this is actually going to work its way out in physical ways. In verse 17, he says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So love has something to it that's more than just what we say. It's more than just a feeling that's within us. Love is so much bigger and so much greater than that. Love is the tangible, the things that we do, the way that we treat one another, the way that we go out of our way to make sure that one another have what we need, that we're together, that we have unity. That's what love is. So now let's go back to 1 Corinthians and see what Paul says that love is. And there's not a whole lot for me to say past reading what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 because love love is a very particular thing. And we know that love is laying down our lives for one another. That love is a physical thing. It is deeds that we do. And Paul says love is patient. Love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not arrogant, love is not rude, love does not insist on its own way, love is not irritable, love is not resentful, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, and finally, love endures all things. One of the biggest problems in our world is that we think love is how we feel. And that if we don't feel a certain way, then we don't love someone anymore. And Paul says, love endures everything. All things. No matter what, love endures. Love is the way that we act towards one another from now into eternity. It endures everything. If if we can be patient, kind, not envying, not boasting, not arrogant, not rude, if we don't insist on our own way, if we cannot be irritable or resentful, if we can make sure that we don't rejoice at wrongdoing, if we can rejoice with the truth, bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things, how is that going to look to the rest of the world? That is radically different than the world that we live in. Radically different. We live in a world that envy and boasting are the two most important things in our lives. Envy of what everybody else has that we don't have, of how everyone else gets to live that we don't get to live, of how those superstars or rock stars or football stars or preachers, how they get to live and we don't. It's all about envy. And then we're all about boasting about all the things that we do have. And how amazing we are. And how we get to do all sorts of things. And so we get to boast and we get to be proud and, you know, we even get to have a month that we call Pride Month because we should boast about everything. That's what the world tells us to do. And And God says, no, 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 love doesn't envy, love doesn't boast, love is not rude, love doesn't insist on its own way. As we continue to read in 1 Corinthians, as we continue to study it as a church, as a body, one of the most important things for us to remember is that all of it needs to be based in love. This is, this is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that he loved us and laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. And Paul led up to this through a whole lot of problems in the church, a whole lot of issues that were going on in Corinth, and Paul expressed his love for the Corinthian people and for all the people that he comes in contact with in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because he says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews that I may share with them in its blessings. That's our goal, that for the sake of the gospel, we might share in the blessings together as one body, united in love. This is the joy that we have to come together every Lord's Day on Thursday night in men's group, on a Wednesday night women's group, on any Bible studies that we might have, prayer in the mornings, wherever we are with one another, this is the joy we have. This is the privilege we have is that we might share in the glory of the gospel together as one body. And that's beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, It is hard to love. It is hard to not boast, to not be rude or envious or resentful or irritable. It's not easy to be patient and kind. Our inclination so often is to rejoice in wrongdoing and not to rejoice in the truth. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who... Though he was the very image of you, did not count that equality something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, and took on the form of the servant, being found in human likeness, and humbling himself to the point of death. Thank you that you exalted Christ above everything. Help us to love like Christ loved. Help us to lay down our lives for each other. To sacrifice for each other. Don't let us hold everything so close. We are so loved by you. Help us to, in the same way, love the brothers and sisters. I pray and ask these things in the name that is above every name, the name that we bow before, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh give you peace. Go in peace.